when I was quite early on in production, I, I started using Ableton and I didn't know <laughs> that you could drag stuff from session view to, to arrangement view. Oh. So I I thought the only way you could arrange a track was to to actually play it live. Oh, um, what? Wow. <laughs> crazy! This is what happens when you don't read your manual. Yeah, read uh, manuals, people. <laughs> you gotta seriously read. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Hello and welcome to the EDM podcast. I'm Sam Matler and with me is my co-host Levi Whalen. How's it going, man? It's going good. Happy about our new name change. Yeah. So, there's a bit of a funny story behind that. Uh, before the podcast started, I posted in the, the EDM Prod artist community asking if, if the podcast was too cheesy a name for, um, for a podcast about electronic music production. And most people said, yes, it's far too cheesy. <laughs> uh, and I assumed that they meant that the EDM podcast would be too cheesy as well. But I was wrong. So, so you know, I called it the EDM Prod Podcast. Pretty boring name, but, you know, it does the job. And um, I, I think, like, as soon as it went up, all these people were saying, oh, you missed out on an opportunity. You could have called it the podcast. And I'm just sitting here thinking, oh, the EDM Podcast. And I'm sitting right. here thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you should have been there earlier. Um, but but so I posted the question in the group and, and I asked if... Um, if people liked the name, the EDM podcast uh, compared to the podcast and the, the existing name. And most people voted for the EDM podcast. So yeah, that's, that's what it is now. <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool. I mean, just the, the idea that you posted a question and people responded and then you made, you did something with, with that. And I think that in itself is pretty cool. You know, I think yeah, you exactly. can take away from that Pulling your audience can be really helpful in in learning how you should change and evolve over time. So I think it was a good choice, and hopefully it'll uh, it'll be a good branding move for the show. I'm sure it will, and you got to yeah. do what the people want. Right, got to do what the listeners want. So, um, yep. yeah. So in other news, I mean, we you you let me know the other day. Actually, we hit number four in the US new and noteworthy iTunes chart for music. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. So thank you to everyone who's who's subscribed and left your rating and review. I think we've slipped back a bit now, but um we want to get to number one and I think we will. So Yeah, totally. And one of the ways that that go ahead. Yeah, it would be awesome if you could if you're listening, if you could subscribe and leave a review. And sure. uh you were gonna do some some shout outs, Levi? Yeah, so I just want to read a couple of the reviews. I think it's really, it's really great to see feedback come in. And so um, this one's from Tim, and it says, Great sense of humor paired with great information. Definitely will, will recommend to fellow budding producers. Good humor dynamic between the hosts and interviewees. Not afraid to cite specific DJs like Knife Party in both good and bad ways. And most of all, hitting controversial topics in the electronic dance music production industry. Perfect break from all the electronic music I slam out of the speakers in my car. So thanks for that one, Tim. And then we have another one from Corey. And uh, he says, a refreshing podcast. He says, any podcast that encourages out-of-the-box thought and creativity is a must-listen, especially if you're a producer new to the scene. You'll get a lot out of this. The hosts have a good chemistry and experience necessary to actually know what they're talking about. Well done, guys. So thank you guys both for that. 
Um, and we would love to see more of those come in. We really love seeing the feedback. And even, you know, if you have something that uh, maybe isn't positive to just let us know, we're, we're always wanting to know how we're doing and what you guys think. So thank you for those reviews. Absolutely. It's, it's awesome. Uh, and if you leave a review, you might get a shout out. So, I mean, that's yeah, always sure. a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other thing is just, just quickly for those taking part in the August loop challenge that by the time this episode goes up, which will be uh, Friday, I believe, uh, the challenge will almost be finished. There'll be a few days left and I'll be sending out some information on how to submit uh, your set of loops via the email newsletter if you want to be included in the, the roundup post. Um, so make sure you subscribe to that. If you're not, you can go to edmprod.com slash opt-in, O-P-T-I-N, and sign up there, and you'll also receive a uh, short little PDF with a couple of tips on how to finish tracks. But that's it for the news. I mean, our topic today is a a big one. I think it's going to be something that we talk about over the next few weeks, potentially, and it is structure and arrangement. And this is a topic that a lot of people have been asking for and also struggling with um, that that I've noticed. So I was thinking of doing, you know, a big blog post on it, but it seems like something that would be good to, to discuss on the podcast. Uh, so in this episode, really one of what, what I want to go through is, is what is structure and arrangement, really define that and go through a few other things, including workflows and methods for actually arranging your music so i mean what what does structure and arrangement mean to you levi well i was thinking about this before uh we got you know talking and um you know arrangement is really getting your idea across to the listener in the way that um communicates it well and um whether that that goes into you know the way that the the sounds are put together or how you lead into a certain section. Um, how it's pretty much just how you arrange your ideas, how you structure your ideas for, for, um, optimizing for impact and, and a lot of things only play into this. So this is a really big topic, like you said, but, um, you know, arrangement is one of those things that I think, can be hard at first, especially if you don't have a musical background. The thing is, though, is we listen to music all the time, and even if you're not uh, been producing for very long, everyone listens to music, at least most people do, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think we have an innate uh, understanding, at least on a subconscious level, of how arrangements should, should kind of work. And so when you hear a song that doesn't really use the same... Um, uh, you know, um, form. It's it's kind of we we get lost, and so I think arranging properly can help the listener to follow along with your ideas. So, kind of in a nutshell, that's that's what I what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's that's a really good explanation, um, and I absolutely agree. There's sometimes a uh, confusion between structure and arrangement as terms now. In my mind, these days, they are used interchangeably. They mean practically the same thing. Traditionally, I think they meant something different, as far as I know. So sure. structure meant the the horizontal layout mm. of a track, and arrangement was basically instrumentation. Right, um, yeah. But I, I mean, for the purposes of this podcast and pretty much the electronic music production scene in general, structure and arrangement are basically the same thing. Um it's just easier to to put it that way and then use instrumentation as instrumentation basically so um to kind of further well sum it up really i mean structure refers to the basic uh on, on one hand the basic macro level structure so you know verse chorus breakdown but it's also the smaller things as well so the tension and energy in the track um how your song progresses over time and all that kind of stuff uh so that's a bit of a a quick summary, I suppose. It goes a lot deeper than that, and I'm sure we'll we'll kind of uncover that. Uh, but I want to start with 
kind of what lies at the heart of dance music in particular, which is is phrasing. So dance music is built up of phrases, and this is really some really basic stuff for some people, um, but other people might not know. So dance music typically works in eight to sixteen to thirty-two bar phrases. Um, so every eight bars something might change every 16 bars something more significant might change and every 32 bars something extremely significant might change or it might move to a new section in the song once you understand that uh, you basically understand that the the basis of dance music structure Um, so you wouldn't it would be weird to make a dance track that has like a seven bar phrase and then (laughs) moves into a 14 bar phrase or something like that eight 16 and 32 is 99 percent of the time how it works um and i'm sure you'd agree with that levi i mean it's it's pretty standard stuff yeah it's it's pretty standard um like like anything else that we probably talk about uh if you know the rules you can break them and so there are ways to do different phrase you know um lengths Mm, but mm. it's it's more challenging because you have to um employ your instruments in a way that the listener can sense that you know that you're breaking the rule Mm. and so it doesn't sound weird um there's a sebastian leger track called majuro that is one of my all-time favorite uh tracks and in the main section, it's three bars of four and one bar of two. And so it's really, really cool. Like you don't get the full phrase, but then it goes back in. And luckily he he puts um, full phrasing on the either end so you can DJ mm, it mm. and it doesn't <laughs> sound weird. But um, so that's one, you know, one, one way that you know. Obviously it was intentional because he knew that it wouldn't work if he had done it that way the whole time. Um and I do hear this, you know, with, with newer producers, they'll, they'll drop in a weird place. And I'm like, what, you know, obviously they don't really realize that they didn't complete their phrase. Yeah. And so yeah, phrasing is huge. I mean, um, there's so much that you can do with phrasing just in the, in the way of, of, um, explaining to the listener what's happening you know every eight bars you make a little sound that isn't every bar you know and and stuff like that so we we can probably go into that you know kind of stuff later on but yeah i would agree that eight bars it's kind of for me it's more uh eight bar eight bar phrases are pretty much how i build my tracks but then it just might be two bars of eight or four bars of eight, but it's kind of always. So you think, so you think in eight bars pretty much all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, if it's even like a, like a chorus or or a drop, it's going to be two bars. I mean, two eight bar phrases. (laughs) Okay. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes I will build a melody that's 16 bars, uh, but not very often. And, you know, sometimes to my detriment, I feel like, sometimes my my builds are too short and I don't give them enough time to really build. And so if I was to think of it as a 32 bar build that really, you know, lasted that full length, it might be a better result. So maybe this is good for me to hear <laughs> that I should, you know, start kind of thinking in different, different ways about my arrangement. I suppose uh, there's a kind of a side question, but do you think um, mainstream dance music at least has gotten shorter? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, um, back when I first started DJing, like in 2006 and seven, um, I was just doing trance, like, like this was, you know, to that, you know, the kind of trance that is now wasn't really what it was then. Mm -hmm. It was like uplifting was mainly what it was. And it was starting to get a little slower. Like 132 was kind of like the slow end (laughs) of trance at that point. And so, um, but yeah, like six, you know, six or seven minutes is a song, but now it's like five or four minutes even for, for a lot of dance music I'm hearing. And, and I think a lot of it is because it's becoming more, 
more mainstream mm-hmm. and and also you know DJs um aren't at least at least the you know the top the top kind of you know the top the top 10 so like you could say um when they're performing they're doing a lot of fast cuts yeah, yeah and yeah. so it's not necessary to have the extra like three minutes of intro and outro like you used to have mm. but i mean i like to play slower transitions personally mm. because it's more fun because i can do more stuff where i'm playing with the tracks together and there's the, just that cool thing that happens when you mix when you're actually <laughs> mixing tracks together so that's kind of goes into more of the methodology of djing and how that's really changed now mm-hmm. um but i think you know not looking at the top 10 and looking more at like the underground stuff that people are doing in clubs and whatnot they're still doing the slow transitions even you know even now it's not i don't think that'll ever go away no, but no. I think I think people are also starting to like go back to that more. Mm. Uh doing longer arrangements and really intentionally extending out their arrangements like I don't know, Eric Pritz has been doing a lot more longer stuff now, which mm, is cool. Mm. Just yeah, I think I think it's something that people are are being more intentional about the length of their songs. I think uh for me what I've found um, over the years is doing a long arrangement can be very hard um, yeah. because you have to keep the listener interested in a, in a day where pop music is, you know, the standard pop song is what, like three and a half minutes, four minutes. Yeah. Uh, extremely short. And some EDM is like that as well. You have, you know, a 32 bar breakdown and a 16 bar chorus and that repeats itself twice and then the song's over. Uh, but one thing I've found with a lot of newer producers who ask for feedback is their arrangements are actually either too long or they're not structured in a way that keeps me interested. Um, So if you have a 32 bar, let's say it's a progressive house song. If you have a 32 bar phrase of the, a four bar chord progression that repeats itself over and over again with minimal change, it's not really that interesting to listen to. Just um, the sound of that makes me bored. <laughs> yeah, but like, like, okay, like certain people can pull it off. Dead yeah. Mouse, for example. But sure. I, I might, you know, um, cause a, cause a bit of anger saying this. Mm. But I think if Dead Mouse released that track nowadays on a public platform or a mainstream platform, it wouldn't be that well received. Um, like an eight minute track that was, you know, had a good chord progression, but didn't really wasn't super exciting um i yeah so so a shorter arrangement is much easier to manage i think as a new producer you have to be very cautious um about how long your arrangement is and how long your phrases are i think it's better ultimately to have a shorter phrase if you're not sure how to fill in the gap um because honestly like eight bars too long can actually kill a track um i mean i've i've it's happened before many times you know i've been listening to a song and it's going well and then you know the the chorus just lasts a little bit too long or the breakdown is just a little bit too slow and it just kills the whole flow um it kills the whole listening experience so yeah it's 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 a hard thing to master um but if if you're going to make a long arrangement you have to be cautious of that i think and one thing that I was going to, um, actually, I think we can transition into the next part and talk about common structures. Now, before we do, the, the best way to learn structure and arrangement is to actually study other music, yeah. um, put it into your, your DAW and get markers like in Ableton Live and, and just mark out the sections of the track um, and learn that way. That is the best way to learn. Uh, if you're not doing that and you struggle with arrangement and structure, then you need to start doing that um, because it's, it's yeah, there's there's no better way to learn. Uh, but there are some common structures. I mean, I've, I've got three written down here. The first one is verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Uh, and this is 
most popular in in the mainstream kind of pop like uh, electronic dance music so Avicii a lot of Calvin Harris tracks and so on and this kind of music if it's a full original mix or extended mix will start with a, a 32 bar intro um, before leading into a a verse which is often just a break without drums and it might contain a vocal and then it will build into the, the main chorus or drop and then basically repeat itself again uh, same link that's, that's what they call a, a <laughs> copy and paste uh, song which is hilarious to me because yeah I don't know how else you're going to get your song to have a structure if you don't copy yeah. and paste. Like, well, exactly. like that's some weird thing that we that we copy and paste. I mean, how else would you do it? Would you create a new mm, MIDI clip mm, and then read? It's <laughs> I just hate that so much. It makes me so mad. No, likewise, it's it's <laughs> like I people complain about the fact that like two drops in a song sound the same. I think there's value in, in the second drop having a bit more energy. I do too. I in do many too. cases. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a necessity, but I mean, it's, no. it can be nice to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if it's just something, I suppose this is a good thing to touch on. Like most, not even dance music, but most music as a whole, the last chorus is the the biggest one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so this kind of leads into a, a topic that I'm sure we'll discuss in maybe next week. Um, but energy control, like if yeah, you go all yeah. out in your first course, it's very hard to go higher than oh, that. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. One of the things that I, that I like to keep be aware of is that the second verse has more energy than the first one too. Mm, so like mm. you're going, you know, you have your intro and you maybe drop in energy a little bit for the verse and then that's building up and then the chorus happens but then for the second verse, you don't quite drop down to the same level again. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you add more percussion in or you add some, to, you know, some top lines in for the verse. And then the second chorus is really big. Or if you have a, you know, a, uh, maybe a little bridge between the verse and the chorus that goes way down. And then you go, anyway, you probably can talk about that more later uh, on. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, but I mean, it, it doesn't have to be... A, a massive change to make yeah. your second chorus no. have more energy. Like often, it can just no. be a, an extra percussive element or some white noise. Yeah, or you open up a filter a little bit more. Yeah, that's what I'll do sometimes. I mean, like if you have like a pluck going in on your verse, um, and then the second one, you just have it a little bit more open, just so that you get some more energy going. But it's not a lot. You just have to maintain it, and that's that's really a challenge. I mean, that's one thing that that I still struggle with is getting the energy levels to be right. And, and like you said, setting up my first drop to not be so, <laughs> so high energy that, that has nowhere to go later on. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Cause it's the, the thing that's hard about it is like, we want it to be like full out, <laughs> you know, and give, you know, show people what we're made of, you know, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but you have to kind of control yourself until, till the right time so yeah I, I think some people underestimate how i mean it's a simple truth that the the more simple a section or phrases the bigger impact it has which yeah. is why big room was so successful i mean in your first chorus you don't have to have a huge amount of stuff happening and often it's a bad idea like i i think when that song when epic by uh, sandra silva and quintino came out like that song was it's the most basic song ever like the drop is a kick and a sample um <laughs> from a vengeance pack yeah and it was huge like the the drop was just it was massive and so we get stuck in this mindset of like oh, i need to add this hi-hat i need to add this clap sample and i mean i i found it personally like i was almost afraid to restrict um my my drops i was thinking oh I don't I want all the percussion to come in here but mm-hmm. then it's like well what are you going to do 16 bars down the line how are you going right. to bring the yeah. energy up you know you yeah. need to restrict things that's really yeah. important and at the end of the day it's, it's really not going to it's not going to someone listening is not going to go oh he didn't include a hi-hat in the drop what's he doing like I 
personally when i listen to music i find um when there's little percussion like a good example would be a track like um i think marlo's remix of impact by w w okay so the first drop in that is just a super cool percussive baseline thing uh, but it's simple like it doesn't have much high-end percussion or anything like that it doesn't have any claps straight away but it sounds awesome um because it's so simple right so i think that's a good a good example um but yeah restriction is super important yeah i totally agree i totally agree with that mm, there's there's one other thing i think we could we could touch on and that is the i forgot who said it but it was along the lines of you know the listener can only focus on uh three main elements at at once mm. and i th- it was Ill gates who, who put it quite well you know he said like you have to it's really conscious of that and what you can do to keep the listener interested is uh bring in like have an element play for eight bars and then shift the focus to something else mm. so you might have you know in your drop you might have a baseline play right so it's just a kick in a baseline it sounds awesome and then you bring in like after the next eight bars this little pluck sound and maybe it's just one interval or one chord that plays every bar but the listener shifts their focus to that now so that's the main focus there's two main elements well ignoring the kick two main elements going on um so then you add a third one which might be like um like a, a pluck melody or something so there are your three main elements if you add more than that it's very hard to uh, your song starts sounding a little bit messy yeah. yeah so you have to be really conscious about what you're doing um so often people don't think about this but you can actually take elements out so you could take that second element the pluck out and add a new element in and then lift uh it shifts the listener's focus to that new element without it getting too busy and that's a really important uh kind of what's the word like thing to note when working on structure um you if you add too much it it's just not going to work out you have to be really intentional about what plays at what time and the best way to learn uh that is is by studying other music and listening to how they bring in new elements um what those elements are in particular because it's not really something you can learn from a book or even a podcast for that matter (laughs) what yeah (laughs) maybe no no i I, that was a joke but (laughs) um, but on the same token like i've heard a lot of tracks um, you know, from younger producers and it's like, they keep layering and layering new, new elements. Mm-hmm. And you know, like what you said totally makes sense. Um, and I think that some people, when they're starting out, they don't think about how the elements really interact together mm. and how like you can have like a really, really huge, like saw chord stab, you know, and it sounds awesome by itself but then when you try to like put a vocal over it the vocal gets totally buried just because there's so much harmonic content with that sound Mm. and so you have to be really aware of like okay how how is the addition of this new element gonna affect gonna affect the sound of my track and is it really helping that this this other this other piece is still playing quite the same and so maybe you have to drop it down you know play in a different register if it's competing for for like a melodic space or you back it off i mean volume (laughs) volume faders can be really helpful to 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 keep your elements that you want to be prominent in that position yeah no i i totally agree and um one i mean this delves into mixing a fair bit but yeah yeah it's funny how all this stuff is is connected yeah i mean structure and instrumentation are intrinsically connected to mixing yeah because if you add too many instruments in a certain section of your song (laughs) like it's a bad mixing that's a bad mix decision right um and mike senior talks about this in his book mixing secrets for the small studio 
Mm. Um, and, you know, he uses an example of, but well, it's not an example. He talks about how if you want your, your last chorus to be the biggest, um, you have to make certain mixed decisions to, to achieve that, which means removal of elements or um, lowering the volume. One trick that I've heard a lot of people use to, to keep people interested is when you're bringing in a new element, which is somewhat of a background element, have it spike in volume as soon as it comes in and what it does is it's a bit of an illusion so the listener as, as a listener you you hear it and you go oh this is a new element coming in but really it's just this, this background element which doesn't play a huge part but by spiking it in the beginning um and and lowering the volume you don't really notice that the volume is being lowered so it keeps that interest going without really cluttering up the the arrangement in the mix um so that's one little trick. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add on on that front? No, I think that's great. I think we covered it. Covered cool. It well. So, yeah. So, um, kind of deviated a bit, but it's it's very relevant. There's there's another common structure which is the actually I'll just add to the the verse chorus verse chorus. It is is a common one of the most common structures. You'll hear it in pop music a lot as well. Um, so don't be surprised if like eight out of 10 songs you listen to have that structure. Another common structure is the chorus uh, breakdown chorus structure. So this is common in, in techno, tech house, electro house, um, and even trance where you have a, you have an intro that builds into a, a drop um, and then you have a long breakdown and then you have the chorus again, which is typically repeated um the first drop with maybe a little bit extra um that's super common i can't think of an example off the top of my head but um it's it's pretty easy to do yeah, i mean <laughs> most most like trance that i hear is that yeah yeah yeah. I, there would be a, a certain distinction that needs to be made um with a lot of trance tracks like it will it'll progress so it will have an intro or verse which is a baseline yeah, and then true. a melody afterwards that's true so uh maybe a a variation on that would be verse breakdown chorus you know i think you're right because i mean i think I, I think you could replace chorus with main groove you know yeah yeah yeah. and yeah like techno and tech house and a lot more house uh genres do have this form of where it's just chugging along and then it stops and does some weird melodic atmospheric thing and then it comes back in and not maybe not a whole lot comes you know not really a whole lot happens but um or it can be a lot depending on <laughs> what style it is but mm, mm. yeah i think that's that's a that's good to differentiate that between the verse chorus verse chorus mm, mm-hmm. and it's like it's i don't think it should be too strictly labeled i mean dance music is incredibly unique i remember when i worked on um and i should have mentioned that at the start but i have i have put together a course a free course on youtube uh for freshly squeezed samples on this topic it's like it's long it's about 27 videos so i'll I'll link that in the show notes but i mean when i was working on that i did a a section on song analysis and genre analysis and I found it really hard to kind of apply traditional labels to this modern music where it was like, yeah, I could call this a verse, but like it kind of isn't, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and how it works with the rest of the song. So I wouldn't, if, if you're studying music in your own DAW, don't be too concerned about how you label it. Um, as long as you understand it and as long as it's consistent, as long as you understand what each section is and how it works in relation to the rest of the song yeah and uh, another common structure the third one is verse chorus bridge chorus and this is probably the most common structure out of all music um so it would also be called abcb so um that's what a, a you know a producer might call it or a songwriter a meaning uh verse b meaning chorus c meaning bridge b meaning chorus so ABCB, you can listen to any top 40 song and 
I almost guarantee it will follow that structure. Starts off with the verse, goes into a chorus. Often it will repeat that. So it'll be verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Um, mm-hmm. And then the bridge is is really important to understand. This, is, I think, is a term that needs to be strictly defined. Yeah, A bridge is something that deviates musically from the rest of the song. Yep. Um, now, and I think Calvin Harris's my uh, latest song, How Deep Is Your Love, there is a bridge in that. And you can clearly notice it. It's this, it's a section of the song that kind of sounds different to the rest. There's a different chord progression, all that kind of stuff. Um, so a bridge is not really the same as a breakdown in my mind, unless a breakdown completely deviates from the rest of the song. Uh-huh. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I personally, I love bridges. Mm, um, I mm. think bridges can be really good for your track to keep moving forward. Um, I don't really know the history of, you know, why they, um, why they're there. <laughs> you know, I, I think most things have a pretty obvious reason. Um, but Hey, like, let's just have a jam in the middle of the track. Like, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, in jazz, there'll be like a solo section towards the middle and it'll just be someone just playing something totally new. That's not anywhere else in the song. And I guess I could think of, you know, a bridge being, being that, um, but yeah, it just, it can create a new dimension in the track that wasn't there before. And it also, it kind of gives you an opportunity to break out of your, of your, um, arrangement a little bit, you know, it's like, okay, Mm. we have this thing going in and now you get to do something, something new that you hadn't done before. So go crazy and do something, you know, do something unexpected and oftentimes for me like the bridge is my favorite part of the track because sometimes producers just put in a little extra work in those sections and then it just takes it to a whole nother level i I was in the car yesterday and i was listening to taiko like i've been listening to a lot lately (laughs) and uh he just he's really good with his bridges because they're so different from the rest of the track Mm -hmm. and it's really cool when producers really take the time to to do something uh, a little a little different in the bridge sections if they if they have that in their arrangement. Have you heard of an artist called uh, I think it's Rezo or Rezo, drum and bass? That sounds familiar, but I don't listen to a ton of drum and bass. So, so this this um, guy, yeah, he produced a track called I think it might be Mind Games or War Machine. Okay, and I'm going to link it in the show notes because you you haven't heard a uh, you mentioned that artists put a little bit more effort into the the bridge or they spend yeah. a lot of time on it. Yeah. I completely agree. Like when I, I love working on bridges as well. I think it's the most kind of the, the part of the track where you can be the most creative yeah. and, and do cool stuff. Yeah. So Rizzo, he, <laughs> he has this drum solo in the song and the first time I listened to it, I was like, man, like where did he sample this from? Mm. Um, and in his masterclass I think it's with maybe future music mm-hmm. he programs it hit by hit whoa and it's long like it's this insane drum solo and you listen to it and you're like man like how many hours has this guy put into <laughs> this part of the that, song yeah it is crazy and like I've tried to do that myself you know being a bit of a drummer and <laughs> I get fed up pretty quickly. Like it sure. is, it is so hard to do. You, you're looking at like all these different velocity levels and you've got yeah. four bars of a drum solo and it doesn't even sound anything like it. But um, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the best examples of, you know, a creative bridge and a bridge that someone's put a lot of effort into. Yeah, for um, sure. It's a bit overwhelming though. Um, Cool. I, I think we should talk about work workflows and methods because I think this is the biggest struggle people have. A lot of people understand structure and arrangement, but they don't really know how to implement it or they have this loop and they're not sure how to arrange it. Uh, and this is a big issue because in many respects, I think that um, the reason, one reason that a lot of people struggle to finish tracks is because they don't even get to that arrangement stage. Totally. They just have an idea done. Yeah. And I think the sooner you can get to a full arrangement, even if it's just basic, 
the closer you are to to finishing the track and the more likely you are to actually finish it and i talked about this in my book so i think having at least a couple of workflows or methods for arranging is important and understanding how to use them the biggest one and the most easiest to implement uh, is the subtractive arrangement workflow which i think a lot of people have heard of but it's so amazing how few people do it how many people get stuck in the loop and it's like dude copy and paste it out just do that to start with so the subtractive arrangement workflow is literally just that you come up with an eight bar loop or 16 and you uh copy and paste it out until it's like five or six minutes long it doesn't really matter and then what you do is you start taking away now anyone can do that that's not hard and the best thing about it is like you have your phrasing pretty much set up already you've got these you know sections of eight bars which you can detract from and add to um so i think that's that's probably the first workflow there are a few i mean, do you want to add anything to that is it something you do uh yeah i i use that method um kind of a variation on that i don't actually copy it out across the full arrangement okay um but i you know i do start from an eight bar loop and that's i think a lot of guys do do that way um at least when they're just built starting to build a track and i know the feeling of getting stuck in that loop (laughs) trust me i mean it's like it's one of the hardest things sometimes to break out of and to say okay this is it like this sounds good now let's actually start arranging it but so what i usually do is um a couple different things i i do is i um kind of rearrange my clips because i'm i'm in ableton and so if i have you know all these different tracks and they all have eight bar phrases in each you know in each instrument um i'll i'll kind of activate a few of them that i know i want to play with at first and then i'll just kind of arrange like i'll kind of play it live almost as far as activating clips if you don't know ableton this might be kind of confusing to (laughs) to hear but Mm -hmm. basically um you can create clips in your your tracks and so i'm just launching those at specific times and then printing that out to a timeline Uh, so that's what i'm that's really what i do a lot of times um, just to kind of create the basic structure. But if I don't do that, then I'll print everything to the timeline and then I'll just drag stuff out. Like I know that I want one part to be in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, kind of, that's kind of the way that I, that I mainly do it. So it's kind of a, a little variation on, on subtractive. Mm, for sure. It's, <laughs> there's a bit of a funny story. Um, and you reminded me. So, when I was quite early on in production, I, I started using Ableton and I didn't know <laughs> that you could drag stuff from session view to, to arrangement view. Oh. So <laughs> I, I thought the only way you could arrange a track was to, to actually play it live. Oh, um, what? Wow. <laughs> Crazy. This is what happens when you don't read your manual. Yeah, read uh, manuals, people. You got to seriously read. So th- this, is, this is really sad in, in hindsight. So I would, I would click play and I'd launch all these clips with my mouse uh, and, you know, drag the volume faders up and down to fade out tracks and so forth all live. And then I'd be like, oh, I screwed it up and I have to start again. Wow. <laughs> Wow. That was a long time ago, though. I just have to put it out there. How um, long? <laughs> many years ago. Many years. It's a little bit embarrassing, but it's funny. Yeah, uh, okay. So, you start in session view then? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. I do uh, um, almost exclusively. The only time I don't is usually with remixes. That's when mm, I don't. Because mm. I, I already kind of have an arrangement from the vocal. All um, oh, right. Yeah. If yeah. I'm doing a remix, it tends to be a vocal track. I don't. I don't tend to remix other just to instrumentals. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean, I'll load the vocal in the arrangement view and then arrange around it. And I might cut parts out. I might I might repeat certain sections. I try not to just follow the original arrangement with remixes. This is kind of a you know a, t- a rabbit trail for sure. That's but, so good. Um, yeah, so I do always start in session view with Ableton. Um, just load in some massive and. Um, so, uh, um, 
Sonic Academy kick plugin. That's the main. I always use that one for kicks and then some samples and everything. Just kind of start start building something. But yeah, just get that get that eight bars rolling and then once I feel pretty good about that, then I record that section out into the arrangement and then start moving things around once it's over in the arrangement view. Right, gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, going back to the subtractive arrangement, it's it's simple. You come up with an eight bar loop, and this is really good if you if you struggle to get out of the loop because it's a step that you can do, anyone can do. If you have an eight bar loop, you can copy it out for six minutes or whatever, and you've done the first step. Then it's about the first step is kind of the second step is taking stuff away, um, which is straightforward if you know the basic structure you know obviously you're going to have a part in the middle or thereabouts which is which doesn't contain much doesn't contain uh, drums and so forth and one tip that i recommend if you follow this workflow is to make your loop is to add almost too much to your loop um add as much as you can because it's much easier to subtract than add so if you have an eight bar loop and it's like a kick like literally three elements a kick baseline and just a lead it's going to be kind of hard to use this this workflow because you're going to copy it out for six minutes and you're going to be like wow i have to add so much more and you'll you'll get really frustrated and you might get stuck so when you're in the loop mode and you're creating a loop which is often kind of the stage in the track where you're super excited a lot of ideas are flowing um, you have to add as much as possible and then you can take it take it away afterward i mean that sounds a little bit i think that might be a bit controversial um but it's i've done it's the best way to work and, and many other people have um just because it's far easier to go well i don't need this anymore so i'll take it away it's like you have a a block of wood <laughs> or stone yeah. and you carve yeah carve away at it you know yeah um, but you can't really ca- you can't really reverse carve. I mean, you can, but it's not ideal. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I like to have um, my like my main section really defined before mm, I mm. move it over to arrangement view and start taking things out. And that mm, means mm. like all the percussion, like just really like full out. But you know, sometimes that ends up not being as full as I thought. Like. I'll have something good and then I'll add another snare in and then like, Oh, actually this is, wasn't quite as high as I thought. So then I take it higher. So it, it really, it really does depend. And it's amazing how when you add other elements, it kind of can shift the way that you perceive the track in oh, general, yeah. which is really, really interesting. Oh, that's, that always blows me away. Like you can change the clap sample <laughs> it just changes the track completely yeah. and like whoa oh it's mind-blowing um i think one thing that's important to note is like it probably wouldn't work that well if you were starting with an eight bar loop that was like your breakdown section mm-hmm. um it, it makes the most sense to start with what is the main chorus of the track yeah, yeah. in many cases um because it means you're kind of working back from that and it's just a, a lot easier to manage creative standpoint yeah i think i'd be kind of overwhelmed if i started with my breakdown because then i'd be like okay cool we got a breakdown oh crap where's it gonna go yeah yeah (laughs) you know i mean it definitely works it definitely works if you're not following the subtractive method yeah yeah i know um santo starts with with the breakdown pretty much invariably Mm. um which is interesting so it, it definitely works but just probably not in this this case sure um so that's the subtractive workflow. Is there anything else you wanted to, to add to that? No, I think that's good. Cool. The, the next one is probably for those who <laughs> um, who have like a chronic case of can't finish tracks and can't arrange anything. And that is the, the MIDI skeleton workflow. I coined that term, by the way, I think. Uh, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so... This is basically basically what you do as you set up a couple of tracks. Um, so if I was doing it, I would set up like a kick, 
a baseline track, um, not adding anything to them, just tracks in the playlist. Kick, baseline, lead, uh, and uh, actually I would do lead, melody, chord progression, and maybe maybe four or five tracks. And then what I'd do is just create MIDI clips for each of them, different colors, and then arrange my track based on how I want it to end up um, in my mind. So I know I'll have a 32 bar intro normally, and this is not set in stone, but it's something to start with. So you basically lay out your full track with blank MIDI clips, uh, and then you fill them in later. So you're, you're doing your arrangement before you're even composing, which seems a little bit kind of counterintuitive, but I've found, um, and a lot of people have told me like, it's, it's really good. I think Matt Lang, Matt Lang or Matt Lange, mm-hmm. Matt Lange, yeah, Lang, I, Lang yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Depends who you talk to. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I mean, ta- there's there's Lange, the trance artist. Yeah, and that's kind of confusing. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's Lang. If you if you listen to um, Above and Beyond, they they say. Matt oh, okay, Lang, that that'd so. be right then. I think they probably know. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so Matt Lang, I think, does something like this where he he'll kind of make an arrangement that he follows before he actually starts. Um, filling in the gaps i could be wrong but i, I remember him mentioning it yeah that's cool i've never used that method but mm. um i think it could be a good exper- experiment it's pretty cool and it, it kind of makes you really think about how you're you're arranging as well um and you don't need to know that much about arrangement at the very least you can just do it in a super basic fashion like you can do it with three tracks yeah. uh, kick bass and lead and just arrange in like 16 or even 32 bar phrases it just means you have something to look at and fill in instead of going you know coming up with the melody and then going oh how how do i put this where does this fit in my track how do i develop it yeah i think i think it's cool because you can it's it's kind of like sketching you know it's kind of like like you're uh if you were gonna paint something oftentimes artists will use a pencil to actually just sketch out kind of the rough like framework of what they're going to be painting yeah. and then you just cover it up later. But the thing that I realize that I do sometimes is even if my arrangement's not done, I'll start getting details in on certain parts that maybe it's not quite time for that yet. Yeah. And I think doing the MIDI skeleton method can really help you to get the basic, even before the uh, the sounds come in, just the structure, the most basic like structure, before you even decide on what bass sound you want to use. Um, but almost in a way, you can inform the choices that you make before you even make any sounds. Like for me, I'm thinking about this right now, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of a cool thought because I could really decide exactly what sounds I want to use before I even start producing. Mm, you know mm. like i could say well i want this kind of a pluck or this kind of a lead here and then it'd be cool if some weird like weird warbly strings come in this part and then um you know some effects some weird sounds come in here or Mm, mm. or a flute in this part you know and before you even get to like playing with it you just know like this is what's gonna come here so i have to figure out how to make that sound so I think that could be even, you know, that's a kind of a more detailed like way to do it, but that could be an interesting experiment for sure. Yeah, that's a really good point because it kind of it kind of forces you to conceptualize a track in your in your head before you actually compose it. Yeah, yeah. So you're thinking in terms of yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's super cool. Um going detailed on it. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if that's worth doing like you know, instead of using three tracks, put out 20 and then just right. <laughs> get super detailed. Yeah. yeah. Um, like label yeah, them with cool. what, what, what kind of sounds you want them to be. Mm, I might, might mm. try that actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty solid workflow. I think I, I think if you struggle with arrangement big time and you often never get to the, that stage where you're, you're arranging and try it out and see how it goes. And if you, if you know next to nothing about structure and arrangement, um, do it, but drag a an existing song into your DAW and just copy out the structure that way. 
there's nothing wrong with going, okay, they've got the main lead happening here, so I'm going to have the main lead happening at the same time in my song. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It's not copying. It's not cheating. Um, and if anyone tells you otherwise, they're, they're just stupid. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, you, you can't really copyright an, uh, no. a, 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 uh, an arrangement based on just what's happening. No, you song. can't. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a lot of lot more lawsuits happening oh, if that yeah. was the case. <laughs> Uh, the the third kind of method is less common, um, and it's something that I don't really use because I'm not the probably not the best songwriter. Like my my theory knowledge isn't that great, so it's hard for me to do. But the piano based workflow, where you just start with one track and it's a piano, and you basically compose your full arrangement out. So I mean, I've done this before, where it, it's almost a little bit tedious and not stupid, but kind of like oh, this seems a bit lame. Um, but you know, I, when I did it, I knew that there wouldn't be any melodic content in my intro. So I would just have, well, there'd just be one note, which might be a pad. So I'd have one note on the piano. Then I'd have a chord progression coming in in the verse. So I'd have the chord progression in the same MIDI clip, just one long MIDI clip. Uh, and then after 16 bars, I have this top line melody coming in, which again, I'm just composing it in the piano and so on. And the breakdown it all changes so you have this one long midi clip with with one track which is a piano and you arrange your track that way and then you split it up and add in your percussion and kicks and all that kind of stuff um it's a pretty basic workflow it's a little bit more traditional but it might help if you're if you come from like a compo- composition background or songwriting background and want to kind of avoid sound design and tweaking and getting too detailed first uh, i know you mentioned that just just before as a common trap yeah um that's one way to avoid it um, yeah i've i've used this method uh a few times yeah um when i'm doing collab collaborations in person uh with people and it's more songwriting focused and less production focused mm. um i will start with piano I guess the same way that I do with with uh, remixes, mm. but yeah, I mean, I'll, I will get the full arrangement figured out on piano first, and then you know, writing writing the lyrics and working out the melody, and then bring it over. Um, and I was going to say something else, but I can't remember now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe I'll think of it if we just keep keep. Yeah, yeah, on. yeah. I uh, one. I think this is a cool way to work though because it kind of gives you a lot of confidence when you can make a song sound good on just a piano. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's much more difficult to do just working and starting on a piano. But it does force you to really think about what you're what you're putting together because um, this might, this is a kind of a weird opinion of mine. Maybe not. I don't know. But I feel like certain sounds, synth sounds can mask not bad composition, but certain sounds can kind of, what's the word? Um, they kind of make a boring composition sound more interesting just based on the fact that they're a cool sound. Yeah. Which is sometimes good, but like if you have good composition, you can almost get away with less tweaking and less extreme sound design i mean yeah. a good a good example that comes to mind is um is a lot of of eric pritt's tracks he doesn't use complex sounds no like one of his no. tracks is literally just saw waves yeah <laughs> they're know? very very basic but sounds. his composition is is amazing yeah like his motifs and his melodies are, are on point and that's why it works so well and you don't need amazing sound design there um it's just not necessary so i think that's a good point if you manage to compose well and arrange well on a piano first everything else is going to come a lot a lot easier um in my opinion i think you'll find that i agree uh so the last workflow is is probably a little bit more difficult to explain it's one that i i don't use often um, but I call it building blocks and it's basically a, a more loose kind of way of, of composing and arranging where 
to start with, your playlist isn't really a place where you arrange. It's just a place where you jot down ideas. Um, so like when I did it, I had, you know, I was working on my chorus at one point and then at bar 65, I was working on my intro. Like you just kind of, just kind of chucking stuff down on the playlist and treating it like a, a brainstorming platform basically. Um, but the whole idea of building blocks is to build each main section of your song before you arrange it. So you might start by working on your chorus, uh, which is eight bars. And then you might work on, I don't know, a few intro ideas, um, and then a few verse ideas. And so you build up like the selection of ideas and then you work out what works best with what it's hard to, to follow this method because it requires a certain degree of knowledge when it comes to songwriting because you can't like it's a bad idea to just compose a chorus and in a verse um without having them linked together and if you don't have any knowledge of how those interact then it's not going to work out well but it can be a good idea because it kind of allows you to focus on the composition without having to worry about arrangement and it also makes arrangement a lot easier because you've got everything there and um, you just need to arrange you know put the the lego blocks in place if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah um what do you think of that? Have you have you tried that before? You know, not the way exactly that you described it, but sure. I have pulled in other projects into one that I'm starting. And so like I'll have an idea going in and I'll be like, oh, you know, this actually would go really well with another idea that I have. And so the cool thing in Ableton <laughs> is you can actually drag in tracks from other songs. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and it has the arrangement and the effects and everything on it. So, um, you know, I can have an eight-bar loop in one project and literally pull all the channels in from another and have them, you know, there together. And so now I have this other idea that I can kind of juxtapose against this this new one. And um, sometimes it's just like, oh, that's exactly what what that what that other idea was waiting for was this new one. So that can that that's been effective for me um sometimes i will be just playing with some sound design and i'll make a really cool bass sound and so but then like i'll come back to it later and not really know what to do <laughs> with mm-hmm. it and so um a couple times i've started a, a new idea and had some kind of melodic you know thing going and and i'll need a bass line and and then I'll remember, oh, that baseline I was working on the other day. So I'll bring that in from from the previous session, and now I have a baseline for for this new idea. Mm. So that's a that's kind of a similar approach to that. Uh, as far as doing it all at once, that seems kind of challenging for me. I don't know. If, I don't know. Kind of, kind of maybe counterproductive for the way that I work personally. But yeah, no, that that I can understand that for sure. But yeah, I mean, if you're a kind of person that just likes to noodle <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. you know, keep it all in one project, but just do a bunch of different things and then see what might work together well and then squish them together. Ableton Live needs to have uh, tabbed projects. Oh, yeah. That'd, that'd be, be awesome. That'd be cool. Because Bitwig has him, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a cool idea. I think I think that you can pretty much do the same thing with the... With the uh, browser, you know, you can import stuff. From yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it would be cool to have like one project as an ideas project and then... Oh, yeah, yeah. Drag them into the next one. Yeah, uh, but cool. maybe a feature uh, that comes in the future. Could be, could be true. Uh, cool. Is there anything else you wanted to, to add, you know, as a whole? You know, I actually remembered what I was going to say about the piano-based one. Oh, yeah. Um, if we could just go back and say that really quick. Yeah, definitely. Um. One of my favorite producers, Imogen Heap, mm. she, uh, at least on one of her albums, I don't know if she still uses this um, method for when she produces, but she wrote the whole album on piano before she even um, started producing. Wow. And so she wow. wouldn't even touch it until, she wouldn't touch the computer until the full arrangement uh, was done for each song. And so... You know, I was like, oh, I was so inspired by that because mm-hmm. it really makes you, especially if you're writing songs. I mean, that's the thing is she's a beautiful songwriter. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard of <laughs> Imogen Heap, please go 
get off Beatport because <laughs> she's not going to be there. I mean, there actually are some remixes of some of her tracks on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but seriously, like, good songwriting, amazing sound design, great chord progressions. She's British and amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I would highly recommend listening to listening to Imogen Heap and, and just... Get get inspired to write songs if songwriting is something that you're interested in besides just producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f- I fully agree with that. All right, man. Well, uh, cool. It's been a good talk. I think next week we'll we'll delve a bit deeper into this and maybe talk about tension and energy. And, yeah, I think that would be good, that kind good of idea. stuff. Um, cool, because it is a big topic. Uh, it is cool. Well, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you next week then. All right. See ya. See ya. Everybody jump in.